Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Do you ever wonder, what does it take to motivate the player and the experience you're creating? How do you create the habits that you want inside the user of the application you're building? Well, on this podcast today, I have Yukai Chow. He is the author and international keynote speaker on gamification and behavioral design. He's also the original creator of the Autolysis framework, one of my personal favorite frameworks, and the author of Actionable Gamifications, Beyond Points, Badges, and Leaderboards. He is currently the founder, partner, chief creator, officer of the Autolysis Group, and chief OP mentor of the Octolysis Prime, a gamified mentorship platform. So without any further delay, I'd like to welcome Yukai. Hello. Hey, brother. How are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm super excited to get you on to the podcast and wrap with you. Um, as someone who, you know, a self-declared human-centric designer and designs all types of experiences, primarily in virtual reality and transformational design, uh, you have one of my favorite frameworks, which is the Octolysis framework. And um, I'm you know, really excited to have you on and just learn a little bit about your journey that got you to create the framework. Yeah, I think uh, the beginning starts in 2003, so almost 20 years ago, when uh, I was a very, very heavy gamer, and I played a lot of uh, Diablo 2 at the time. And at one point, my friends uh, started quitting the game and moved on to other games, so I quit too. And then I felt extremely empty. I felt like, wow, I spent thousands of hours accumulating better gear, leveling up, getting gold, making my in-game character super strong. And when I quit the game, it's just like, well, it seems like I have nothing. So I was in that transition period between quitting games and starting a new game. And I just felt, you know, why can't there be a game where, number one, people, like a lot of people are playing, but number two, and people just can't and quit like that. Um, so I realized, hey, that's actually like the game of life my life if i was my own rpg character yeah right of course i wouldn't just be idling in town walking back and back and doing nothing which is what a lot of people do just sit there and watch tv i'd be going out killing monsters getting experience uh learning skill points building alliances doing quests and so back then up by the way i was still in uh in high school and i thought well mm. most most people among my peers they're still they're playing this game but they don't know this yet so they're in town and if i go out and start leveling up at one point, maybe when they graduate college, they're like, hey, I, I'm playing this game. I should probably go out and and start leveling up to go to level two. And at that point, I would be level 26, maybe. So eventually I could, because you know, success is snowballed, right? Uh -huh. So I thought eventually I could be the strongest player on my server. So I started converting my whole life into a game. What's interesting is that before uh, everything with school, for extracurricular, all those things, I did the bare minimum to achieve uh, my acceptable results, right? If I mm -hmm. had to be an A student, I made sure it's 90%, not 91, because that 1% <laughs> is wasted, right? Yeah, and I, so I, I, I did a bare minimum to, to hit all my, my milestones, and then I stop and I go play games. But when I saw everything as a game, of course, you're not going to do the bare minimum, right? You want to thrive and be awesome, all of these things. So eventually, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go through a long list of things I did in high school, but eventually, you know, things when I did everything really, really well. I was a, like a 98, 99% student, went to state competitions and a variety of things like chess, violin, rose string, quartet music, got me to UCLA. And then I started my first business, first year of college, because that felt way more like a game, starting a business, because it's about, you know, you have an objective, mm -hmm. you have obstacles, and you have your current resources. And it's about utilizing your current resources to overcome the obstacles, hit the objectives, right? And that's... You know, that 
feels like a game and that's like business much more so than you know filling out like uh, memorizing a lot of information regurgitating on a piece of paper right in mm -hmm. fact most work is like that most people's work is the same thing as a game structure as opposed to just memorization and so mm -hmm. i started my first business um and they're all themed in terms of gamification how do you turn your life into a game how do you live a life that's about again leveling up and improving your skills building alliances uh so one startup led to another and now we're off to 2012 when i stepped down as a ceo of a, a gamification company called reward me uh so someone else took over as ceo we raised a little over a million dollars there and then um then at that point uh i this is the year I got married. I'm like, hey, it looks like there is this industry called gamification that's booming. And, you know, companies are raising VC funding. Uh, but the things they're talking about doesn't seem to be very strong. I mean, most of them just feel like gamification just means applying points and badges onto a boring experience. And suddenly it's fun. And, you know, as gamers, we know that games are not fun because there's points and badges, right? It's, it's yeah. the strategy component, the competition, the collaboration, the unpredictability all those things the storytelling so so i was like well this industry is booming a lot of money is going into it but i think most people don't understand it so i thought you know i, I have at that point nine years of experience in, in learning about this and researching about it so i started to uh start sharing on my blog kachiao.com uh you know what what i've learned and some thoughts and this is where i published octalysis framework and it's octalysis because of the combination of the word octagon and analysis and that uh, was picked up very quickly. So in within a year it was organically translated to 16 different languages. Um, and that's when I got invited to you know, speak about and teach about this at places like Stanford, like uh, Oxford, Yale, Tesla, Uber, IDEO, uh, Lego, all of those places. And, mm. and I led to a book and all my other endeavors. It's incredible, man. And I mean, you look at it, it's, it's a very simple, um elegant elegantly done explanation of human motivations right because you're talking about gamification what is the gamification it's it's you're talking about the simplistically breaking down what drives humans to go and do stuff and points and levels and badges are just these you talk about external motivators that don't really do much for us as 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 a whole because you want that experience to be um uh motivating now let me ask you when you, when you start to put this stuff together and you talked about start gamifying your life started treating your life like a like a like a video game and all this stuff like when you started to make the framework, did you start to lay that out across like a whiteboard or did you start to do like, do you start gathering those pieces together? Because the way that you have it structured like white hat versus black hat and across the boards, I feel like it's, it's a very well, is there anything that you left out of the framework that you couldn't find a way to fit it in? Yeah. So a lot of people have asked me about the process of creating this framework. And, you know, I've had uh, people who had PhDs in psychology for decades tell me that the framework actually answers a lot of things that wasn't uh, wasn't uh, uh, answered in, in the psychology space yet. Um, and if you go to Google Scholar, you'll see about 2,000 uh, PhD thesis academic journals applying the analysis into all these industries. So I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm very lucky, yeah. blessed to you know have a tool that I created just to be fun and useful to to stand so strong in the industry. Uh, but the process I made, like some people mm. ask me, oh, did I spend many many years doing this and and whatnot. And I'd say that, to be honest, it's probably the result of three sit downs. Uh, there's one, there's, but it's across like one or two years. So, so it's like one sit down, I drew an octagon and it was, it was used for something else for like, for business optimization. Yeah. And then there's another sit down as analyzing 
um, a variety of games that are very different, but you know, my, my mother was addicted to Farmville at the time, and that was very curious to me. Uh, there's Diablo 3 and StarCraft, and there was also Candy Crush. So those are those are some games that I looked into and why they're so different and why, why some games people um, can be super addicted to for six months and they just don't want to touch it ever again. Yeah. Disgusted by it, and then why some games people can play for decades and and it's still enjoyable. So uh, eventually, I, I came up with with the framework, and I want to say that um, there's actually a good reason why studying games actually produce a good framework about human motivation psychology. Because if you look at most psychological studies, right, behavioral mm. uh, science, it's usually a professor with a classroom of like let's say twenty hundred students. And then they're divided by half and then they'll have a delta like there's one half would have a small change in the other half and they see if one half of the room behaves a little differently than the other half it's like hey this delta this change uh changes behavior right and it's not even a hundred like everyone changes behavior it's like oh this group like it's 64 percent does it and the other side is only like 51 percent. so you know it's not even across the board and if this can be replicated across different classrooms then suddenly it's scientifically proven now if you look at a game each game is like a petri dish of hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of test subjects voluntarily uh, changing their behavior based on the design. You can observe, hey, once game adds a little more scarcity, everyone, how people change their behavior. Once it adds a bit of unpredictability, how people change their behavior. So uh, just by observing games and being very self-aware uh, and, and pattern recognition and, and creating that, I think that's that's how the house is born. And that's why so far it's been. A, it's, mm. So I also say that because I, one of my framework is to turn my life into a game, like the six steps to turn your life into an RPG game. I think very, uh, there's a lot of um, rhyming with, with your show and what you guys are doing. And one of it is figuring out the initial stats, right? What's your build? It's just like in game, you figure out if you have your high intelligence or strength or whatnot, and that will help you decide if you want to be a wizard or, or a warrior. So I have a few high level strengths uh, in terms of. Um, of uh, the association between things that are dis disconnected, pattern recognition, uh, empathetic intelligence. So a few things that allow me to create frameworks and models. So I actually have a fun goal in life, which is to yeah. create about 100 different models and frameworks. Mm -hmm. I think I'm at about 35 right now. But again, I think Octalysis is by far the, the strongest one. Wow. OK, there's so much to unpack from that. So one of them being is the the gamification of life do you carry around a stat book or anything now do you have like a backhand pocket where you like pull out an app and you kind of like update the app or anything is there anything that you currently carry to gamify life with is that it? uh i use a few gamified to-do lists um hmm. uh, i use uh habitica a company from habitica waterdoo and uh to stay productive i tend to i do my all my exercises with vr actually oh yeah um, yeah yeah uh, thrill of the hunt, probably the best workout game if you if you played that. A uh, thrill of the not thrill of the thrill the, the fight, the fight for thrill of the fight. Yeah, sorry, yeah. thrill of the fight. Uh, that one always gets me out of breath and like within a ten minute workout. And um, yeah, so so I do a lot of that. And and so so when you think about game cage, there's two types. One is the like overarching, your your life is the game, and mm -hmm. you're living this framework. You, you make decisions based on that game. And then there's like daily tactical stuff, which is how do you get yourself to be more productive uh, on a day-to-day on -day basis and how to keep score of what you're doing. Um, and and so uh, the, the tools are the tactical part, and then there's the high-level uh, framework uh, of living your life and making decisions. 
Yeah, and it's one of the things I've noticed in this is it's very hard to be both the dungeon master and the player in the game of life. And so being able to switch between those two roles where you switch and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm changing my stats. I'm updating my things. And then you're like, okay, player, uh, now you're on a diet and uh, no more carbs for the rest of your life. Right? You're like, ah, <laughs> you have switching that player role, which is creating, you know, creating that motivation or creating that incentives or creating, you know, cr creating that, that, that pattern uh, to actually get you to take those steps forward is, is a challenge because you could be, you know, uh, uh, um, would it be a sadomasochistic dungeon master? I'm not too sure how that, how that would look, but. Yeah, I think that's a very good insight. It actually is much easier to create a gamified platform for other people than yourself. Uh -huh. um, and and just a few small clarifications. So white hat motivation in yeah. so palaces is a is an octagon, right? So the top of the octagon is white hat motivation, and that makes people feel powerful, in control. They feel good, but mm -hmm. there's no sense of urgency so people procrastinate. And the bottom of the octagon is the black hat motivation core drive. So it makes people feel urgent, obsessed, even addicted. Uh, but in the long run, if that's the only motivation, it could lead a, uh, leave a bad taste in your mouth because you feel mm -hmm. like you're not in control of your own behavior. So people might drop out. And so what's unique is that it's really, really hard to apply black and motivation on yourself. So core drive eight is loss and avoidance, right? That's that's a punishment. And core drive mm -hmm. six is scarcity and patience, which is basically withholding something you really want from yourself. And so how do you design an experience where you, you put a reward that you you want it so much, you're willing to do everything it takes to get it, yet still withhold it from yourself, right? Very, very hard. Yeah. And then for lots of boys, how do you create a punishment where you're so scared of being punished that you'll do anything possible to prevent this punishment, but know that you have the integrity to actually execute on yourself if you fail, right? It's just really, really Ooh. hard. You're, you're just, you're just going to be like, eh, I think I'm not really going to earn my $1,000 if I, if I don't work out today. Um, and, and then that crumbles. So usually you want to find a, a game master to help you enforce the, the design rules that you created. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've noticed that I've, I've seen for myself, like in terms of gaming, because I'm obviously very deep into the gamification of themselves. Like I'll set quarterly goals. I'll meet with someone that's dear to me and go, okay, here's my rules. Here's my punishments. Here's this. Here's my credit card. Here's the giant stick to go beat me with. <laughs> I'll be back, you know? And so I, I find it to be really, um, you know, fascinating about that. And what I like about that, what you talked about, and I want to address it because it's one of the things that I, we got connected because I covered some of your work and some short form content online. And what you talked about was an amazing way to get people to uh, transform is you need black hat gamification to take that fearful jump to move out of uncomfortable from comfortability into taking that step forward but then if all that you had was black hat and pain and pain and pain then it feels terrible so then you switch it to white hat which is meaning and purpose and you know big vision that keeps you going for the long haul so black hat to take the, the fearful jump and then white hat to stop you from burning out and the and keeping on that progress right which is you're stacking those two pieces together which i thought was absolutely brilliant one of my favorite things that i've seen um, happen. Is there any other stacks, uh, octolysis stacks that you've seen combining together that are effective that are have a synergistic effect? Yeah. So, so right now we've only been talking about the white hat versus black hat, but there's also yeah. what we call left brain versus right brain core drives, which okay. you know, left left brain is left side of the octagon, right brain is right right side of the octagon. It doesn't geographically mean that it's on the left versus right of the brain, but uh -huh. the left brain core drive symbolically mean uh, connects to the logical brain. Right brain core drives come, uh, symbolically connects to the emotional brain. So what's interesting is that the left brain core drives deal with extrinsic motivation, things you do for a reward, purpose, or a goal, but you may not enjoy the activity itself. So once you obtain the reward, you hit your goals, or you get used to the reward, it becomes stale, 
you stop doing the activity. Whereas right brain core drives are things that you just enjoy doing to the point that you're even willing to pay money just to experience it. And mm -hmm. even if you lost all your progress the next day, you would still want to do this activity today because that's how we measure our quality of lives, right? How much time we spend on things we just enjoy doing. So for instance, uh, core drive five is social influence and relatedness. You know, a lot of times, you know, so a lot of people since middle school, high school, they hang out with the same two or three friends for sometimes three, four hours every single day. And there's no reward, right? No badge, no progress bar, no achievement, uh, no tokens, but people just enjoy that. It's evergreen, right? And in fact, a lot of working professionals look back uh, fondly to those days and say, hey, I wish I could, I could be in those days where just like hang out with my friends and do nothing all day long. Uh, core drive seven is unpredictability and curiosity. So, um, you know, an example I give a lot is if you sit there and you press a button for four hours straight and you're guaranteed a paycheck, that's kind of boring, right? That's like a job at a factory. Most people don't like it. But if you sit there and you press a button for four hours straight and maybe you'll get a paycheck, maybe you won't, maybe you'll even lose money. Suddenly that's casino gambling. And a lot of people like that, right? And so it doesn't make sense. Same behavior, one, you're guaranteed a payout. The other, you're actually most likely going to lose money because that's how the casino makes so much money. But our brains prefer the latter because we're paying for the intrinsic experience of the thrill of gambling. Mm. Like maybe I'll win, maybe I'll win. It's not necessarily for the reward, it's for the experience. And, and so if you look at core drive seven, unpredictable curiosity, that's on the right bottom of the octagon. So it's intrinsic and black hat, which means our brain enjoys it, but we feel out of control. So a good example is this, let's say you want to go to bed at 10 PM, but mm. then you start binge watching Netflix till four in the morning, right? Again, your brain enjoys it. Watching the show is very intrinsically enjoyable. There's a lot of curiosity, but that's black hat. We fell out of control. We wanted to go to bed at 10. We couldn't. So, so when you look at the octalis, and this is just a, the, the face value, the, the layer one of it, you can start thinking about, all right, how to use extrinsic motivation to create justification or hook people into the experience because people think they're too busy for some fun. So it's like, hey, you get some kind of reward or status grow in it so they get hooked in and Black Hat drives urgency to jump in, to take immediate action. And then when they're in the system, use intrinsic motivation to get them to enjoy every step of the way. So it's more intrinsically fun and enjoyable mm -hmm. while having this white hat feeling of you feel like you're in control and uh, and you feel like a personal uh, well-being in the system. Okay. It's, by the way, I love that you just add the pocket. You're like core drive seven is this, core drive three is this. It's just like, I can I can feel you just got, you basically mapped on the top in the back of your brain of what, how it all works. I didn't really understand you're talking about left versus right was actually, it's almost like um, from understanding you talked about the things that more of like uh, I don't want to say achievement, but you're talking about intrinsically motivating versus extrinsically motivating. Is that kind of what you mean by that? Like it just, yeah, yeah. It just naturally feels good versus some yeah, sort yeah. of. So, so extrinsic motivation are things like maybe the task is boring, right? But they, when you yeah. tell them, Hey, if you do this boring task a thousand times, we'll give you points. We'll give you passes, We'll give you money. We'll give you status. You'll be like a recognized member of the community. These are all extrinsic motivation. The activity mm. itself did not become more enjoyable. It's just that you're doing it for the reward or you'll get healthier, right? Or you will uh, find the love of your life, right? Those are all extrinsic goals. Whereas the right brain core drive, intrinsic motivation, you don't really care. You just, you just want to experience it. You don't think yeah. about goals at all. Um, and so, so like I said, if you lost all your progress the next day, you would still want to play basketball with your friend today or play this, this little game. So it's not about, it's not about the gain. It's about the experiencing. Yeah, it almost reminds me a bit of the the hero's two journeys, right? And so this is obviously the hero's framework and all that stuff. The hero's two journeys. You know, I set out for the Holy Grail, but along the, the set out for the Holy Grail along the way, 
it's not really the holy grail that's really the, the thing that people care about. It's the personal transformation that happens along the way. So it's who you become along the journey that's actually the most rewarding, even though you really do want that, you know, holy grail prize, the girl, the money, the, the glory, the, you know, it's it's the actual, the person you become. So is that kind of the the intrinsic kind of, because like, it's kind of like a easy bit, fun? A, a, yeah. a bit more on that side, uh, but if you did it just for the transformation, that's still yeah. for extrinsic, but, uh -huh. You do it because the hero's journey is just so much fun. Like you like fighting demons and dragons, and you would you don't care if you're growing or leveling up or getting money or the or, or the princess. You just want to kill monsters. Like <laughs> instead of saying yeah, yeah. instead of doing a thousand instead of instead of saying do this boring thing a thousand times and you'll have gain, you yeah. just say it's no longer boring. It's so much fun. You do it for free and you do it for no no gain. Got it. So it's, it's making that habit loop pleasurable, right? Yes. And then you're just, you're just you're just enjoying that that journey, right? Yeah. So so good design would be mm -hmm. first tackling those right brain core drives. Give people core drive three, empowerment mm -hmm. of creative feedback, which is about meaningful choices, autonomy, self expression. Core drive five, social influence and relatedness, which is making things more collaborative, competitive, mm -hmm. uh, more social appreciation, gifting. And core drive seven, unpredictable and curiosity. So that's basically uh, giving people delightful surprises, Easter eggs, mystery box experiences. Got it. And it was interesting that you're talking about too, is you're uh, jumping around a bit is, you know, there are certain ones that you're talking about that don't matter if they're, if you don't care about the game, if you don't care about the experience or whatever the things, if there's nobody inside there, if you're in a, if you're in a, a, a multiplayer experience and there's nobody else in there and you don't care about the communities, the, uh, the, the levels and the badges and all that stuff doesn't seem to matter at all, unless you can actually um, identify with the tribe and identify with the community. Is that part of yeah, the connection? And I think part of what you were bringing up earlier uh, mm. was about easy fun. I think you, this might oh, be- I was about to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicole yeah. Lazaro's uh, Four Keys to Fun, right? So easy fun is really about core drive three and seven. So empowerment of creative feedback and as well mm. as unpredictable curiosity. So easy fun is like whatever you're doing, you're winning, you're playing with Legos, you're playing with bricks, right? You're drawing something. There's no way you could lose. By playing, you're winning. And so doing it is by itself is fun, right? And the unpredictability mm. is just absorbing curious content and and- you know, when games, uh, in game design, when you want to equal the playing field and remove the skill skill curve, you add randomness to it. I don't know if you ever played uh, Super Smash Bros, but yeah, you know, my friend and I, we were really competitive. We trained all day long back in college, and so when we play, we turn off all random elements. Right? It's the the, the final destination, which is the, uh, the 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 stage that has nothing in it. We have no items. And then we just, it's all about skill. But when we have like friends or cousins show up, they don't know how to play the game very well. They're just gonna destroy it. That's when we turn on all the randomness because that that equalizes the playing field. Right now they yeah. can just get this, this hammer and just kill everyone. And it's a lot of fun, a lot of laughter. And that makes it, that turns it from uh, hard, from skill-based hard fun, which is more extrinsic to, you know, laughter-based, like unpredictable social fun, which is easy fun. Yeah. And you're, and you're switching out a, a achievement for the collaboration and it's almost that that blue turtle shell effect from mm -hmm. you know so that it's about keeping the, the it exciting and interesting because otherwise if it paces away it'll tend to snap it right and when you're talking yeah. about is this 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 hard fun right and hard fun is usually uh generally uh can be unenjoyable but how do you how do you make hard fun pleasurable like how do you do that so hard fun is mostly about extrinsic motivation so it's about goal orientation right you're trying to get to the mm. goal and there's different types of players some players um you know the moment they feel like this game is really hard they feel demotivated and they quit 
for me, I look back in my life and all the games that I became really good at are the games where on day one, I just sucked. I just get destroyed by people. And I and it lights up a fire in me. And I'm like, ah, I have to like practice all day long, get, a bit, get better at it. So so I'm very obsessed with it. And this is about uh, a combination between core drive six, scarcity and patience. Scarcity being like, because it's hard, it makes you care more. If it's so easy, it's abundant, you don't care. But because it's scarce, it's not it's not easily available. Um, you just suddenly want it more. And then, but if you actually go get it, it leads to core drive two development accomplished, which you feel accomplished, right? Then that's the thing about hard fun. It's hard, but once you overcome it, you have this feeling called Fiero, according to Nicole Lazaro, which is uh, the feeling of triumph over difficulty. And that, mm. and that sometimes feels even more meaningful than just doing some, some easy fun stuff. Got it. Cause there's that, there's that feeling of transforming your identity and belief into yourself of I can do the difficult, right? Or I can, that there's that self-efficacy that has that benefit. Yeah. What, what do you think is the most common misused or misappropriated uh, piece of the Eptolysis framework? What is something that people usually normally get wrong? Um, I think most people still just default to what we're talking about. They just try to add extrinsic motivation design to boring activities. So it's like you have a game, right? The game's really boring. And since you play this boring game for a lot, for like a thousand times, you can get all these rewards and badges. It makes no sense. Like I said, you want to start off making the game itself fun to play with the right brain core drives. And then once it's fun to play, they say, hey, play this game, the fun game for a thousand times, you achieve a lot, then you can get all these rewards. And it makes a lot more sense. The other thing is, um, I think there's a danger these days with this trend of data-driven design. Mm -hmm. And data-driven design is is very sophisticated, intelligent, right? It's like, hey, we don't know the answer, so we look at the data and we and we just do what works. But the problem with data-driven design is that because black hat motivation drives urgency, whenever you're too data-driven, uh, like too close attention to the data, you're always going to do more black hat. So it's like, hey, we realize once we put a torture break in the experience that this is like, you have to wait 10 hours before you can come back and play more, right? Yeah. Suddenly everyone is coming back 10 times a day, like obsessively to pay more money and they're telling other friends. So let's do more of that. So the experience gets more and more black hat. And one of my uh, more extreme examples, I like to use extreme examples because it's memorable, is this mm. is why dictators, uh, tyrannical dictators, love black hat motivation, core driving lost and avoided. They're like, hey, it looks like if we threaten to kill people and actually kill some of some people and their families, People all change their behavior, they're complying. So based on the data, right, based on data-driven design, we should do this a lot more, right? And so while you'll see the data work out for you, uh, as a human being, we intuitively know that people are not happy in this country. A lot of them will try to escape the country. Some would even want to band together to overthrow this tyrannical government. Um, and this is what a lot of developers are doing these days. They're like, hey, look, this is making money. Let's do more. And uh, when you look at, for instance, World of Warcraft, you look at the original version, World of Warcraft Classic or Vanilla, right? It's not about creating short-term behavior. It's like they, they, it's not like, let's test a little bit, let's create a, they're just like, hey, we made money from the last project, let's create a dream, let's create a world where it's like, it's vast, there's all these races, all these things. And then later on, they got in more trouble because it became more of a CFO culture. It's like, hey, if we're going to invest this much money into the game, how can we make it back in a quarter? Right. And and so there's looking at data and then you no longer have epic, great experiences in the game. It's all just about and this is why the, all the, 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 the uh, free to play stuff mm. you, you might see a Diablo Immortal and all that stuff, uh, which is like it's all about getting people to just come back obsessively and spend more money. But people don't feel great when they play the game. 
and that's that burn eyes. You're, you're you're taking a look at that short term gain, right? So it's the same same issues that we have in the in the game of business. Is that a CEO comes in, his his you know perks are associated with something about the the goals, and so he'll do some sort of black hat motivation to to spike sales so that he can get his purse and get his money, which will ultimately you know upset the clients that will tank over time. I have a I have a, a kind of sort of very recent relative example that happened to me. Uh, just uh, two days ago, and it's not—I don't think it was intentional, but it made me—it—it it, it reminded me of what we're talking about. I was at Costco, and I went inside Costco, and they had these big old thing of fireworks. Really, those—you know, those giant fireworks things. And I was like, "Oh, this is," and I was like, "It was like thirty dollars." I was like, "What?" I'm like, "This is like a hundred and fifty dollar firework." I'm like, "This is amazing." I'm like, "Costco's in the game. I'm down. Let's do this, right?" And of course, they're doing bulk, so I went and got it. I brought it over to my wife's, yeah, like, like my wife's family's house, and we're there, and we're like, oh, let's we start to we start to light them. They're not lighting. We're like, why aren't they lighting? What's going on here? They're not lighting. And I go to pick it up, and I pull on it, and it pops. It's a little popper. They have all of these are poppers. They're all in the shapes. There's big ones. There's like there's triangle ones. They they all look like fireworks. All of them look like fireworks. But it got me to purchase it because I looked at the shape, I looked at the design, I looked at everything. And, and I'm like, wow, somebody made a whole bunch of money, but it put that bad taste in my mouth. So like the social credit of the Costco in my mind went down a peg, right? But somebody made millions of dollars because of that. And it, it's very like, it, and, and I wasn't the only one that got tricked, but I could tell that like that, I don't know if that was intentional or unintentional or data-driven design where they said a lot of people buy this without thinking about the fact that yeah. they aren't really- to, to them, it's a great success. They made a lot of money. They might be encouraged to do way more of that because they <sighs> suggest that. Oh, man. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and, and, the, and even, even gamers make this to me, especially young ones. Yeah. They'll think that because they have to keep going back to the app three times a day, they think they're having fun, but they're mm. actually not having fun. They're like, oh, I must be addicted to it. Like, I am addicted to this, so it must be a lot of fun. And they don't have the sophistication to understand that sometimes they're not having fun. It's just that you don't want your crops to die. You don't want your army to like to sit there idle and, and be a waste, right? You don't want to lose all these resources. And therefore, you feel you're compelled to go back. But it's not because you're enjoying the experience. It's just because of the game design forces you to go back. Uh, but I also want to make it very clear that just because we turn this black hat motivation doesn't mean it's it's necessarily bad itself. So mm. uh, a lot of people voluntarily put themselves in black and motivation. Just like I said earlier, right? How to be your own game master. Uh, mm. They use black and motivation to get themselves to go to the gym more often, eat healthily. Um, you know, which is why sometimes you know we pay our gym trainers to call us losers. You know, you know the harsh <laughs> ones, right? We're doing push-ups yeah. and like you, you're you're trash, whatnot. It feels bad, but then you're okay because you you thank them to pushing harder than you could yourself. And so what people don't like is when um, uh, marketers, employers, governments, educators use a lot of black hat to get us to do things we don't want, like uh, buy things we don't need, uh, work overtime without proper compensation, get manipulated. And a lot of people still do that activity because again, this stuff is obsessive, but the moment they can run away and escape the system, they will want to. So loyal customers leave, employees join competitors. Uh, sometimes children run away from home if the parenting mm. strategy is too black hat. But if it's a goal people already want to do, like for instance, like let's say I was always wanted to do donate to a charitable foundation anyway. Like if you're on the radio, I always wanted to. It's white hat, right? There's no urgency. If I do yeah. it, I will feel happy about myself, but I don't do it. And then suddenly it said, hey, we have a generous donor. So within the next two hours, if you donate, that donor will match what you what you put in. So there's suddenly there's scarcity. I mm. have this urgency, like I, I have to do something in two hours. 
and it really motivates me to go and donate to this charity uh really quickly right so it, it, it does use this black hat makes it a little bit uncomfortable because i have to i have to stop what i'm doing and go do this right now but i'm okay with it because i already wanted to donate to charity so black hat is fine if it like pushes us to just like you said get us into a a uncomfortable situation that we always wanted to go to but it was just when we're too white hat we just want to be in our comfort zone there's no there's no reason to leave because you don't have that like the uncomfortability makes you want to move and and then in terms of it could be i'm gonna miss on this deal or i'm not gonna have as much impact or there's opportunities about to go by and that's that that's that scarcity uh, yeah and i i think that's the hero's journey right on the beginning some things have to change to create yeah. a shock in the system like oh wow i can't live my comfortable life anymore i have to step out and you know there's part of the, the framework is also there's the reluctant to take the leap right it's like oh but it's so uncomfortable i just i still like my comfort life and then sometimes you need a mentor that's core drop five social influence to say hey no you really gotta do it sometimes the mentor has to die before you're like oh now i really gotta be a hero dude you're totally on point and what it makes me think about is like what's the first thing the first step of the hero's journey is that the hero joins the journey it generally speaking it's the refusal of the call it's so hey here's an opportunity and like nah i'm good i'm at my house Right. And then what happens? Like, you know, some people bomb Luke Skywalker's house and his family dies. He goes, well, I guess I have to go now. Right. And sets him off on that journey. Have you taken a look at the hero's framework? Right. And, and seen how the autolysis framework and either gamifications lay around the the arch. Have you seen it at all? Have you tried that? Yeah. So not a full study of what you mentioned, but I am. Uh aware and familiar with the, the hero's journey itself. Mm. Um, so, so the autolysis framework is all about behavior and motivation, right? It's about yeah. if you can define the desired actions about what motivates people to do it. And so you could match all those steps in terms of what motivates them. And like I said, what's interesting is the, the initial call to action is usually something happens to the hero, right? Yeah. And so it's like, oh, war broke out and, and, you, and the hero suddenly wants to enlist in the army like Captain America, um, all those things. So, so there are things where it's like sometimes epic medium calling, like I want to change the world. And, and so what's interesting about Epic Media Calling is that it's white hat, right? It makes you want to do something. It makes you excited about this, but it doesn't have the urgency to actually go do it. Um, so therefore, you need some black hat in terms of, oh, so sometimes it's unpredictable curiosity, right? I wouldn't say that's a hero's journey, but Alice in the Wonderland, she fell into the, the rabbit hole because of curiosity, right? Mm. Um, and so so there's that curiosity that drives people forward, uh, you know, take the red pill or the or the blue pill. Like, like it's like, oh, wow. Like, honestly... Yeah. Neil had no idea what he's getting himself into. It's pure just curiosity and scarcity. It's, like, it's mysterious. It's like very exclusive seeming and uh, and I don't know what it is. So I'm going to join this because he's because he's such a because he's bored of his, his, his life. Right. And so yeah. therefore this this new exciting world drives him. So that's core drive. So I'm pretty like I said, our brains enjoy yeah. it out of control. We're sucked into that. So you can kind of trace um you know what are the patterns of the hero's journey what core drive tends to motivate people to take the next step is, of, is a feeling of accomplishment or growth is a feeling of ownership now you take personal identity right i am now a hero because i'm the chosen one or whatnot right i'm the one the universe destined to balance the, the forces of, of, of uh, good and evil right um and so and so you, there's the identity component there's the social component there's all these core drives that come into place to uh, get the hero to, to take their next steps. How does the identity component relate to the gamification doctolysis framework? Yeah, so core drive four is ownership mm. possession and it has a few components. It's uh, It has a component of collecting like digital mm. goods, currencies, Pokemons, whatnot. 
but it also has this um, also more abstract things like if you uh, invest a lot of time to customize your Facebook profile, Dropbox folder, your LinkedIn profile, you feel more attachment, hence mm -hmm. ownership over the experience. And even if a new technology that's supposed to be better come out, you don't want to switch because you know that one doesn't understand you. This one does this one for your system. So that that attachment to to a product experience is ownership too. And then we move to what we're talking about, which is the identity thing. When you feel like you you have an identity, you're more likely to to take that action. So if you tell kids to say, "Hey, try to stand there as long as you can," uh, they can't stand for very long. But if you say, "Hey, pretend you are a guard at the Queen's Palace." And then you can realize they can stand there for for much much longer, mm -hmm. uh, just by installing identity, right? With, with my parenting, I, I teach my twin daughters. You know, I'll teach them like, hey, you're part of the Chow family, and so Chow family, you're supposed to do this, like Chow family. Uh, uh, so if they, so so if they tell me yeah. like, oh, why why are the other kids? They don't have to be honest or whatever. It's like, well, yeah. because they're not part of the Chow family. You are part of the Chow family, right? So it's installing that I can just like. Uh, I know, I know Game of Thrones is not so popular after the last season, but yeah. it's like the Stark, right? You're a Stark, so you need to behave this way. You're a Lannister, you have to always appear dead. So people kind of have this identity with their family, and so it changes their behavior. And we can see that in, uh, you know, in the hero's journey, too, when sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, some plot lines, people just say, you're the chosen one, you're the hero. It's like, okay, I'm the hero. I guess I have to do some heroic things, I guess, right? <laughs> and then, yeah, and sometimes they're, they're thrown into it. How, do your, how are your twin daughters right now? Uh, they're four and a half, um, and, and what's crazy is Symphony and Harmony, that's their names, oh, they have yeah. drastically different personalities since the first 10 minutes in the, in the hospital. Wow. Is uh, I would uh, is there, I, I don't know why, but I giggle when I think of the idea of if, if Harmony is the overly aggressive one. I don't know if that's the case it's or not. The, it's the opposite. Symphony is the opposite? Is, has, has always been loud and needs an audience and wants to communicate and talk. And the Harmony just likes to chill and be by herself and do her things. So their names actually kind of reflect. The, I, I wouldn't, I don't know how much to attribute that to, to identity, like your name Symphony, mm -hmm. so therefore you're louder. Because uh, they were literally doing that, like, again, the first day in the hospital. Um, but, you know. From us, from the behavioral science of subconscious yeah. priming, like once they understand what those words mean, it yeah. it, it would actually ch uh, change some of their behavior. Do you um, like have you run experiments? Have you talked about one framework about you know instilling an identity in them? Is there other things that you've you mean been able to uh, gamify experiences for your daughters as they're coming up? Because I mean they're at that age of of just totally adopting the things. Is there anything that you've tried with them that you've seen? Yeah, we probably a lot of a lot of things in the Octalysis framework with them. I, I think one thing that I do that might not be intuitive, like most families don't do it. I, I want to uh, I want to help them build uh, thicker skin and not yeah. be self-conscious and mm. not be snowflakes, right? So I actually do this training with him. I'm like, okay, if someone tells you something you don't like to hear, then you just say, and I use the Chinese word, it's like, okay, thanks. You just smile to them and say, okay, thanks. Because if you don't lose your temper, you can never lose, right? So I'll practice them. I'll say, all right, you ready? I'm going to say it. Symphony, you are so ugly. You're stupid. You're worthless. And then they'll, and then they'll just say, okay, thank you. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah so so I, want, I want to make sure that when people around them call them these names or whatever, they don't, it doesn't hurt them for a week, you know? That's so good, man. I mean, we are very, I think one of the things that we do lack in a lot of this is resilience and thick skin and, you know, like not taking things personal, I think is a, is a big, it's a big thing in this day and age. Um, at some point, uh, just putting in there, I could totally see at some point you doing uh, autolysis for parenting. 
I could totally. <laughs> I've been I've been asked about that a lot. Are you? Oh my god! Oh, yeah. that'd be so amazing. Um, but that's I mean that's that's beautiful. So then, uh, so you're looking at uh, thicker skin, and you're kind of like seeing, okay, what can I do to kind of prime them to kind of get them ready at these formative ages? Um, that's great. Is there is there anything else that you do in the areas of, of for advice for parents? Oh, uh, you're very interesting. Like lots and lots of things. Uh, I, yeah. I tend to give them like simple frameworks, like what's useful and what's useless. I tell them you want to do useful things, not useless things. So I'll say like moping on the corner is useless, right? And mm -hmm. and you want to do useful things. So it's communicating, talking is useful. So so it's like giving them simple frameworks to go by, and mm -hmm. and I can tell them, hey, look, you can sit there and have a tantrum for the next twenty minutes and be useless, or you can come here and I can comfort you. Up to you. Like, do you want to choose to be used to useless things or useful things? And then, after, and then, uh, you know, they'll usually like realize, okay, sitting there for 20 minutes is pretty useless and it'll come to me so I can actually comfort them. Uh, but I usually want to give them first. I don't want them to be like, oh, because they, they're pretend. And I usually actually use the language like, don't pretend to be pathetic. Like you're, you know, you are in a good family. You have parents who love you. You're, you have the most amount of research of all our family ancestors, like, like by far, yeah. you know, you, you are in a good, good scenario. So don't pretend that you have a sad life or, uh, and you know, even when they say like, Oh, daddy or mommy, you, you don't, you hate me or whatever. I said, I don't be like, no, no, no. I do love you. Don't, don't say it. I said, Hey, you're not supposed to lie. Don't lie when you know it's not true. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so shifting gears just a little bit here. One of the things that you, I've noticed that comes up a lot, right, in this in, is um, the misuse of talking about black hat frameworks and getting people to do things and having them not feel good. Um, we've seen a lot of interesting things happen in the crypto space, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. I know you, I know you have some experience there. I don't know how much you want to talk about in, the, in that area, but you know how what have you seen in the crypto space? that uh that in terms of gamification that you like oh that's a great use case or that's not a great use case what are tropes what are trites what's what stands out to you yeah so first of all yeah i've when i wrote my book i i wasn't aware of this cryptocurrency i, I was uh, aware of crypto but not like nft web3 mm -hmm. space in general uh but then apparently my book became a uh, some people say it's a must read in this space and i start getting a lot of invitations to do consulting advisory on that i have my own nft project called metablocks right now so that's that's the disclaimer in itself uh but when i start seeing the especially the nft space you know it it kind of are those eight core drives on steroids it's just like all this uh you know the discord activities with the with the whitelists and the uh the scarcity components like uh, you know, there's all like, oh, there's only 8,000 of these NFTs and there's 50,000 people in Discord. So everyone needs to fight and, he, and they have to do all these things. Like you have to go invite all these friends, do marketing. And it's like, oh, so what's the reward? The reward is not that you get a free NFT. The reward is you get to be on the whitelist. So you get the right to purchase their product at full price. That's the reward <laughs> of doing like basically like working as an employee for them. You get the right to pay them money. For their full product, right? It's 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 it's, it's pretty intense. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so there's a lot of like uh, exuberance, greed. A lot of projects are dishonest. So, but I like to go back to the foundational stuff. Just like when we talk about gamification, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people talk about gamification, but there's a lot of fluffy things, and you want to go back to what's core, what what works. And in my in my evaluation, the core technology 
the blockchain technology of being able to create unique uh, serial keys for a digital uh, asset, a digital item. I think it's very valuable. So my example is this. I, uh, you know, I wrote a book. I sold about 100,000 copies, a little over 100,000 copies. And um, those copies, we call them copies, right? They're all fungible. So that, what that means is people just want the, the knowledge, the text, right? So the, the e-books just as good, the audio books just good. It doesn't matter if they trade books. It's just, it's just fungible. It's like the knowledge. But in my life, I've signed about, I think about two or 300 books. Mm -hmm. And those are non-fungible. That's a unique copy, a new version, unique version of a book. So even if people trade those those signed books, they're not the same. They're a little bit different. I write something different. I address that name personally, and it creates a more unique relationship with the author, uh, or with the musician, right, or with the artist. It has that uniqueness to it. Now, uh, is it worth five million dollars? Probably not, but it has it has a unique uh, value there to make something. Uh, more scarce and more and hence more meaningful. So scarce. So NFTs are important because of that scarcity, but mm. also that meaning and purpose. You know, I, example I give a lot is I have a friend in Denmark. He has a very old and broken rugged couch, uh, mm. and there's no utility nor cosmetics to the couch. But he cherishes greatly because it used to be owned by Winston Churchill, and he believes that Winston Churchill is a war hero. So to him, it's invaluable the meaning and history behind it. And so for some people, the NFT is like the meaning is the influencer who promotes it. Like, oh, this is this is like the Bieber coin or it's like, hey, I love Bieber. So Bieber coin is, is, is valuable. Um, and so that's the meaning. And then finally, there's community, Core Drive 5. So that's Core Drive 6, 1 and 5. Um, if, if my friend is the only person who likes Winston Churchill, to him, the couch is as valuable, but he can't sell it to someone else. But if there's a community of 100,000 people who all believe Winston Churchill is a war hero, then he can probably sell it to someone else to sell it to someone else. And so I think it's important to say that the foundational technology is useful, but the, the, the marketing, the financial world on top of it may or may not be uh, at least justified. Just like the dot-com era, right? Dot-com bubble burst. I keep mentioning this. Dot-com did not fail. Dot-com, the technology was strong and sellers growing and people used it. It was the exuberance and financing, right? People realized, whoa, this website's not worth $10 billion. It's only worth hundred million dollars. So everyone sells and sometimes they oversell it, it goes bankrupt, but it's pretty amazing that a website itself is worth hundred million dollars. Right. And so we know that the website that survived through the dot-com uh, uh, crash nowadays, they're some of the most valuable assets in the whole world. So, so I think it's important to separate the foundational technology and what it enables to the, you know, the financing, the investors, the marketing and all that stuff. And I think it's good to, to build value on the on the strong foundations while creating a protection against all the fluffy stuff. That is so, I mean, you make such a really good point on this because a lot of people, they look at the market then, and I've noticed that unless you've actually are in the space, people have like a pre-bias to their own information, right? So most people that are against VR, the only people I ever find out that are against virtuality are the people that haven't tried it, right? And then usually the people that are against crypto are the ones that aren't in it. Right. And so you have a pre-bias to this information. Right. But then when you start to get into it, you kind of figure out what uh, the difference between, I think, VR and I think crypto is virtual reality has this inherent value of embodied consciousness, being inside the space, taken away anywhere, any place, anyone. While the the crypto side, the NFTs and all of that is is a is simply that it's it's the contract that has this non-fungible token that if you can be creative with the use case of it, it can actually have a, a really a really deep impact. But people are are looking at the 
the currency itself being valuable. And it's kind of like the, what you're talking about is, is there a deep meaning and purpose? Is there something inherently valuable inside it? Is the loop powerful? Is it, is it valuable to me? Or what does that look like? Or is it mostly what people are doing, which is these social trades? The only reason why I'm going to buy this is because I think I can sell it for seven. If I bought it for five, I think I can sell it for six. If I can buy it for eight, I think I can sell it at nine. And that seems to be where the 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 big dot-com bus failing is, is that most people are trying to say, I'm only buying this because I think I can sell this at a higher value versus the inherent object in of itself it's valuable to me and even if i don't sell it i'd be happy yeah that's remote speculation right i think the true value of something to you is what would you buy it for if you know you couldn't sell at a higher price and that's how much you, it's worth to you uh but if you buy it at you think it like if you can never buy it at a higher price you would only buy it for like a thousand dollars but then mm. you buy it at fifty thousand it's probably because you think you can sell it for a hundred thousand to someone else but at the end maybe everyone just thinks it's worth a thousand dollars if they can never sell it it's, okay COVID toilet paper man yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and what's what's interesting is the crypto stuff there is that epic meaning called in the first place which is that mm. decentralization i'm sure you heard about this term right and it's about and this happened right after the financial crisis in 2008 and it's like, oh, well, we don't trust the government. We don't trust big banks that get bailed out. So, you know, we want this peer-to-peer -peer network that runs our, our, our money and our currency. And so, so that, you know, right now, cryptocurrency is still a fr very frictiony experience. It's not a smooth experience. But back in the day, 10 years ago, it was even worse, right? And, you know, there's all this controversy of people using it for black market stuff, you know, China's banning it all the time anyway, uh, and there's all this regulation, and, and it's so hard to use. There's no tools available. And what carries forward is the core of epic meaning collect. They really think this will change the world. And I think in some places, it really is a serious thing. Like I heard like right now in China, they have some mm. money problems. So a lot of people said they couldn't withdraw monies from their bank, their, the money they deposited. And what's crazy is that they want to go travel to, the, to, to, uh, to uh, uh, protest, right? But then suddenly they saw their health status. They it all says they have positive COVID, so they're not allowed to leave. Quarantine. <laughs> Literally, the government can just because of COVID, the government yeah. now has a switch to say now no one can protest or complain because now you all have COVID out of the blue. And like he's, even one guy says, my father went to check his bank account and couldn't withdraw money, and suddenly my status is COVID, like positive COVID, because so I can't even do anything for my father anymore. And and so a government can literally just do that if they wanted to, right? And this is where if your money is on a decentralized network, then no one uh, entity could just say, no, we're gonna we're gonna just do this to, to you guys. Yeah, and that's that empowerment, and we we seem to be going in the thing where we we centralize to gather power. Right. But the problem is whenever you centralize, get, gather power, then corruption's in the system. And so we're trying to decentralize our powers just so that we have autonomy. Right. Because what we call we all want autonomy, mastery, progress. Right. Those are things that are inherently valuable. So that's what it sounds like. Autonomy over your own income, um, which is. But at the same time, you have these issues where these whales are coming in and they're manipulating the market supposedly going in the system and being able to yeah. push things around. Yeah, and there's some in, some things that are just funny. It doesn't make sense. Right. It's like. Uh, decentralization doesn't necessarily mean it's necessarily like democratic because mm -hmm. the you know the government's token in a lot of models, right? The rich people have more votes, right? <laughs> like in our in our current economy or democracy, like like imagine if if billionaires have more votes than than normal people, like they have like they have a million more votes than you do, right? It's kind of weird. But in this economy, everyone has one vote. So if you're a billionaire, you're in poverty, doesn't matter. You have one vote. But in the crypto world, 
for most how governments talk about if you're the rich guy in the system you get to choose how the network involves in. you know they justify that it's not necessarily all evil they just say hey but because they've invested so much in the system the ecosystem they care about more they have more at stake right if you just put in one cent like why would you have the say of changing the whole network when someone has put their whole life savings into it right so um so it's not completely like malicious in a sense but it also is kind of weird how it's it's decentralization has epic meaning calling but it's not necessarily democratic it's it's more like it's decentralized but not democratic per se yeah and and, and we're we're finding the system to try to try to optimize and i think as we solve one you can't invent the plane without inventing the plane crash you, you can't you can't invent yeah. the crypto without the crypto crash right there's there's stuff that that comes along with it that um, is true People who invented planes invented plane crashes. I never thought about that. Oh, uh, yeah. Somebody uh, on a podcast said that to me. In fact, in fact, the plane crash was invented first before the plane was fully invented. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. You're like, you discovered something, right? <laughs> arms, uh, some, some broken arm from a Wright brother or something. Um, yeah. Where do you see? Okay, so where do you? Okay, you you you're, you've been deep in virtual reality, right? You've been deep in crypto, right? You're deep in gamification. I mean, obviously, you you got a lot of depth. Where do you where do you see all this going? Where do you see the merger of? Because uh, there's this whole like uh, warfare. Virtual reality is the metaverse, right? And then there's crypto people. Crypto is the metaverse, and then there's this whole thing, right? And then and without getting into the whole you, thing, you know, what, you know what's the craziest thing? Yeah. Um, a lot of the Web3 people, they were just so excited about the term of the metaverse. I think a lot of people were. Uh, and even there's this podcast called the Web3 Founders. They changed their name to the Metaverse Podcast. And one single company hmm. ruined it all by changing their name to reflect that they <laughs> are the metaverse. Right. And then suddenly everyone's like, whoa, this is different from the metaverse I imagined. Because the metaverse, I thought it would be open, decentralized. Right. There's a lot of freedom. There's uh, privacy, right? Anonymity. But now this one company that's, that supposedly is now what people believe is the metaverse. It's, it's mm. very closed, controlled. It's, you know, people say there's a lot of spying so they can serve you ads, all that stuff. So a lot of people sound like, ah, yeah, we're not doing the metaverse. Like, so now I hear people use the term like, you know, we're doing stuff in the uh, so-called metaverse. They'll no longer say we're doing stuff in the metaverse, which is kind of <laughs> funny because it's, it's, it's a tainted word now. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do, I do think in the future... Uh, a lot of these these trends will emerge, right? So uh, people probably heard about interoperability, which is, um, you know, you play a game, you get these angel wings, you can carry these angel wings to another game, and then uh, you have the status. Potentially, that's what MetaBlocks work on. You can take these status, you go to a real-life location, to a restaurant, and say, hey, you have these angel wings in the game, you're a VIP. Or, hey, because you've come to this location, you'll get uh, a powerful sword in this game. Uh, so everyone knows who sees your sword knows you went to Miami and did this trip. So I think there's interoperability. Interoperability becomes... Again, it's still a, a while away. It becomes possible because of blockchain technology. If it's on the same chain, mm. you can kind of transfer over. Uh, there's technology nowadays that's building things that are connecting different chains too. Uh, mm. However, there's still the difference between open and closed. Uh, some people call the federations in the metaverse. So some people, many metaverses, uh, terminologies are, are around. Place. I like there's one metaverse. There's different like federations or kingdoms. And what, what it is, it's almost like passwords. The technology makes it possible to cross the border. But mm -hmm. there's rules, like if you go to this this company's metaverse, right, they say, hey, these items can come in, these items cannot, these you have to pay a fee, right, to, to come in. And so some things have to be left at the border, and some things you can take in, and some things you can take out. So in some places, there's open metaverses where everything goes, and you can do whatever you want, or it's based on 
democracy or tokenomics, governance tokens. Um, so I, I see a world where these things are all interconnected, um, but then it's about rules and policies to, to say, you know, what comes in, what comes out, what, what do you can do here? Of course, it's still far away because they said right now, the challenge is most developers are building their own thing, right? Yeah. It, it takes all this effort to build for someone else's stuff also. Um, but I think once there's enough, um, interest and, and gain to, to connect with other platforms and there's partnerships come available, I think that's going to be more and more prominent in the future. I mean, that's the hope, I mean, but you also look at that, for example, interoperability. I mean, Apple's great at that in the Apple ecosystem, interoperability. It's amazing. You can text across there. Yeah. But you try to bring anything that's not Apple and it is a hard shutdown It's a walled garden of just, yeah. just, just straight stopping you from it. So, I mean, that's a tricky bit because you're right. Cause in, in, everyone can kind of build their own systems, their own applications. And unless you're actually connecting Roblox is a giant metaverse of kinds. Right. But it's also only with inside that its own applications. But what you're saying is because you can use the cryptocurrency, the chain, the, you know, the cryptocurrency itself, you can pass things through the chain, or maybe you can actually, you know, you can use something like OpenSea or whatever it might be to be able to actually um, use the chain to kind of move across platforms. Yeah. Platform. So a lot of things are on the Ethereum blockchain and, and mm. fa uh, Facebook slash Meta actually uses uh, Polygon now, which is what Metablox is on too. Mm. So when it's on Ethereum, these assets, right, potentially can cross over. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there could be technology in the future. I think some projects are working on it where there's something called Solana, which is a totally different blockchain, but then potentially it can also transfer over. Um, so now what you own in one place, your, your identity, right, your avatar, your, your, your inventory, mm -hmm. Can and your 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 achievements can carry from one place to another, and I think that's actually really interesting because if we had that, maybe I'll never even go into the gamification space. Because remember, the reason why I started was because I lost all the things I accumulated when I quit. Yeah, the game. yeah. But imagine if I could take my characters to new games and new places, then maybe I'd never uh, find the reason it, to turn my own life into a game. There's a young Yukai out there who's gonna be robbed of the opportunity to do what you did, man. There's, uh, but, but like, but new problems, new opportunities going through this and yeah. you, I mean, I do want to address it because this is one thing I've seen you do and I, and I thought it was interesting because you have Metablocks, right? This, 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 um, uh, NFT crypto metaverse. I don't, hopefully that's not a derogatory term, uh, of what you're actually building. Right. And I thought it was fascinating when I heard you're doing, it, I was like, wow, I was very curious to see it. Do you want to talk just a little bit about what Metablocks is and what about it excites you? Sure. So like I said, when evaluated what what uh, makes NFTs valuable, it's about scarcity, meaning, and community, right? And mm -hmm. the thing with scarcity with NFTs is still that, yeah, there's only like, what, 5,000 uh, NFTs for, for this batch, right? But you still have to trust the developers because they can issue more batches if they want. Hey, let's do 10,000, let's do 100,000 more. So it's almost like the U.S. government where they just print out more fiat money, right? U.S. dollars if they wanted to. So you have to trust developers. Uh, and then the meaning and purpose, most of the uh, places they have to kind of do storytelling, they have to create meaning because most NFTs are created from scratch. Like mm -hmm. virtual land, you have to say like, why this land is useful, virtual characters, you have to use storytelling. And so Metablocks, what it is, is combining uh, real world places with real life memories. So we thought about, okay, what's truly scarce in the real world? Well, it's, uh, it's gold or real estate, but gold is still fungible, right? My gold, your gold, we trade, it's the same thing. But real estate is not, like my home, your home, even if it's the exact same dimensions, it's it's positioned a little differently, different neighborhood. You know, I had my memories. Maybe I had my my twin daughters of mine. You had you graduated from school and yours, but not. And so these are non fungible. So we want. So what we are doing is we're turning 
um, locations in the real world into NFT. So we start off in San Francisco, Miami, Singapore, and New York, and coming up in like a few days actually, uh, and then LA uh, coming soon. So people can own uh, these NFTs, but that's just the scarcity part. The more most important was the meaning, and that's the real world, uh, real life memories part. And so we, our actual purpose statement is to preserve humanity's most important memories onto the blockchain. So my co-founder, who is who's at Google, um, he said one day he got an email from Google saying that they'll start charging for Google Photos, right? And he realized, oh, all this stuff is on a single server. Thirty years later, you know, Google could shut shut it down. Dropbox could shut their service down. Uh, Google Photos, Google Drive, uh, they could possibly go out of business, or our grandchildren just might not want to pay for like. Our, our Google Photos forever, right? Well, you, know, you want to pay for your grandfather's Google Photos for the rest of your life. Um, in which case, you might lose all your memories. And so, uh, and so we thought, okay, the fundamental uniqueness of the blockchain technology is decentralized. Theoretically, it can preserve something forever. So we wanted to preserve humanity's important memories onto the blockchain, so it's not a single server. So the way to do that is people own these NFT real estate, right, in the real world. And the way to level it up and generate what we call meta rent in-game resource is that you have you or other yeah, other people who have experience, they should submit memories uh, that are related to this location. Now, some memories are just personal, like, oh, I have my newborn sophomore child. Uh, some memories are like, oh, this is where Steve Jobs meets Steve Wozniak, right? It's mm. very impactful worldwide. And based on how, how strong the memory is, it, it levels up the property and then generates more. Uh, digital currency there, um, and so so basically take that scarcity meaning, and then we build a community over it. And what I like about our community is that it's all around memories, right? So people talk about uh, you know again having having like life, having kids, death. You know they're they're trying to remember their deceased loved ones, um, yeah. bonds. Oh, this is where I proposed to my wife, and so you see all these things that are interesting. And what's what's unique is we're trying to look into. Uh, timeless value. So we know 10, 10 years from now, people might not be playing the same NFT games, right? Very actually, very unlikely. 10 years from now, people might not like the same NFT animals. But we're, we're guaranteed that 10 years from now, people will still care about their important memories in the real world and also the places that they can still go to today. And so we take these two timeless things, we converge them, and it becomes what we call like a landmark, right? Landmark is basically you take a physical location and, and imbue it with important memories for humanity. And so we and we know from museums, historical sites and landmarks that the longer time goes, the more valuable these things become. So we're really trying to create a, a timeless type of experience for, for people. And that's the foundation of Metablox. There's all this AR stuff we want to do, loyalty programs, adventures, scavenger hunts, but that's the foundation. That's awesome, man. And what I like about that is you I mean you took the the aspects of what makes people want to buy in terms of scarcity and you're you know you're basically you're starting at these different cities that allow you to kind of build out a city so it's not too much right and it has natural scarcity built into it you're taking something that the the number one thing that people love more than anything is themselves <laughs> and so you're creating the memories the, the families and the photos and you're taking that epic meaning and purpose and you're combining it together with the, the scarcity that and i like that and then you're also able to kind of move through the different cities as you start to progress through the through that system which i think was which i think is which is brilliant so you have the you have the the meaning you have the ownership you have the scarcity you know i don't know if you have any unpredictability i don't know if you got any slot machines inside of there at all but you have the i know you have so meta far, no, no. so far no. no um you you can look at the different tiers i mean it's already yeah. 
existing. It's not like you open a mystery box, but um, the, the NFTs in a city will have between tier one to tier five, tier five be more expensive and generate more meta rent. Uh, but they're predefined. It's based on how close they are to landmarks in the city. And uh, so that was a decision, right? It's not about being like inexpensive areas. It's not about um, randomness. It's about like, hey, they're close to landmarks, so therefore they're higher value in our in our value system. But mm -hmm. one one thing that's unique is we also don't go around telling people like, mean like, hey, buy this because you're gonna get rich or you know, when moon. We don't. We never mention. We say, hey, we you know, this is the long term vision. We believe we can improve humanity, and we believe we invest in the concept that over time builds value. But if you're just trying to get rich you know, soon, this is not your project. Do it because you believe in the vision. You want you want to preserve your memories uh, to the next generation. So so we're doing this very slow push. And so far, you know, uh, the project has uh, we have enough uh, revenue to 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 run for two years without if we don't mint any more NFTs. But we're seeing like every month we're actually minting more than our costs. So I think we can, we're definitely going for the long haul. And, you know, it's funny because we're docs, right? So we have, both of us have been, have a reputation for yeah. 10, 20 years. And it's very weird because people do say like, oh, we want crypto projects because we don't trust the government. We chose to trust big banks. So we're going to trust these three anonymous developers that Dude, have this for sure. whole project. And we're going to give them like a lot of money. It's just really weird, right? Well, that's the challenge of like, you're like, okay, so the crypto community, they love a whole bunch of money and they love being anonymous. And you can, it's like there, there is an issue there when you, when you, when you take people and you have all of this opportunity and you have no accountability, it can, it can cause you this one. You're right. You're, it, you're, you're, you're doxxed. So. It's literally YouTube comments, but with a lot of money involved, like you can <laughs> say whatever you want, no consequence, no accountability, but then you can get money from people. That's brutal. Ed. So then, so for you, like the, what's your, with 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 metablocks and what you're doing like what's the the holy grail vision right if you if you roll this forward to five ten years in the future what is it what does that look like to you yeah so besides preserving humanity's memories we think there's a lot of things like we want to be a beacon between the digital metaverse to the physical world so like i was talking about what we want to do is we want to have let's say people are playing these games well first of all there's the ar perspective like you can walk down a city and if you have AR glasses, you can see like, oh, I want to see the most inspiring memories in the city or most uh, heartwarming memories in this neighborhood. Right? So they pop up. You might be able to also see people's NFT projects. Like you see their board apes peep out the window or they see a Star Atlas space shuttle hovering above the building. So it's really ingrained like real life experience. But like I said, uh, let's say in the digital metaverse, you have these uh, angel wings and then you go to a physical location, the world like San Francisco, go to a bar. And they see either through smartwatch, AR glasses, or phone check, and they're like, oh, you have these angel wings from the game. So you're a VIP coming for free, right? Uh, or the other way around, like you go to uh, Singapore and you do this jet ski trip. Uh, and then when you jet, just jet ski, uh, you, you upload the memory there, then you get the special sunglasses that you can bring to the metaverse. So the, in the metaverse, everyone knows that, hey, you have those sunglasses, so you must have been to Singapore and done this, right? So we want to allow people to have more adventure in the real world. We want to make sure that it's not just a profile you show people, but it, it actually becomes a, a lifestyle. Like now to play this game, instead of going to digital world, you're also you're doing things in the real world. Like you're like people are going to different cities and, and with other, we call them neighbors, with other neighbors going to different cities, doing more adventures together, uploading new memories. And this is how you play the game and level up. So, so in the long run, we want to create adventures that we're like Pokemon Go, has a lot of ups and downs and controversy yeah. and all that stuff. But one thing that almost everyone uh, agrees that they like about it is that it got people to go out. 
right? And so we want we want to create that, but instead of trying to raise a little little uh, pesty battle, we want people to go out and create memories, and that's how you level up your 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 uh, your game economy. Well, I love that too, because again, if you if you reflect on the octolysis, right, and what you're talking about is that people want an excuse to go out and do something, right? They want they they feel good once they're out there, but they're kind of comfortable at their house, right? I'm sitting home, you know, doing my thing here, you know, clicking the computer, but going out with friends with a with a with an epic call, a meaning, purpose, getting out there, making making friends, and also having that 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 connection with other people, right? Where you're you're in it and you're all you're all going through it together, which I think is I think is awesome. So then you're going to turn this from not only just a NFP, NFT kind of it points on a map of the city to actual geocached locations of each of these cities with say augmented reality or whatever, whatever new technology comes out so that people can actually go to those physical locations and be able to say, oh, wow, this is this is a geocache of my memories of what's going on here. And this is a more viable location because people are contributing by actually putting their, their memories inside of this geolocation. Right. So it's a collaborative um, you know, uh, memory making machine. Yeah. I think yeah. AR is probably like three, four years away. You know, it's not yeah. mature yet, but you know, like Apple, Meta, all these companies are like double downing on AR technology. So I'm sure mm -hmm. we'll see uh, more adoption for it. Yeah. What for you is, I mean, if that's the, I mean, pres <laughs> preserving the world's memories, uh, which is, I think is, is incredible since we are a, a society of amnesia, we have a tendency to forget, uh, as time goes on here, um, what do you think is the the dragon? What's the most difficult thing for you to overcome um, on this journey that you don't, you know, it's going to take a transformation to be able to do it? I, I think at least what I'm, what we're seeing right now, the tough thing is the uh, the crowded uh, getting rich market, right? And so we're just focusing on fundamental values. We're like, don't join us if you want to get rich. And then there's all these other projects. What they do is they raise a lot of money and they say, join us because you can't get rich in four months. And we're, and if you join and you invite your friends, we'll give you a free Tesla and we'll give you all these things. Right. And so it really makes the market very crowded. So it's almost like you're a student and you're like, and everyone in your class is, is cheating on the test. Right. And you feel like it's, it's very hard to, to, to uh, do well in that environment. Now, the, 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 the play, the bet is that over time when people graduate and they're looking for a job because you actually study, you can actually, you're the one that actually is qualified to get a job and everyone that just cheated on their test. So they actually will not get a job. So those projects just, just die or I guess load. Um, it's a long-term play, but I think as we're just executing building, um, we, we, and we're about long-term meaning pro meaningful projects, right? We talked about you know, we like to be more like a safe haven as opposed to be exciting, like uh, sensational product right now. Um, just, you know, just like historical sites and landmarks, right? They're, they're, they, they stand the, the, the test of time and they're very valuable, but they're not sensational. They're not your daily like Instagram. Um, so so we, we're focusing on that and our, our play is that because we, we're committed, we, we have a long history of execution, and our and our model uh, stands very strong. We think that in the long term, whoever is with us uh, in the project will will all uh, end up benefiting a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's just so funny because I, I just pictured like I don't know why, but I, you know I pictured like 
you know, you're, you're sitting there trying to teach people like the good practices. Right. And next to you is like a girl in a bikini, just throwing hundreds of dollars of bills at people. Right. And it's like, it's not, it's not because it's like, it's like, well, yeah, but they're promising I'm going to get rich overnight. So I should give my money to them. But the, the, it's like, uh, huh. you know, one of the earlier examples of that, that always yeah. cracked me up is GoDaddy, right? So GoDaddy's <laughs> marketing is not like, oh, our servers are more secure. You know, we have all this thing. They're, they're literally like, Hey, it's very cheap to reserve domains with, and we have hot girls. We have like racial. Yeah, so that, that's why you want geez. to trust trust your whole website, you know, your whole platform on their servers because they're cheap and they have hot girls. Dude, it's it's so funny because even though we know we're being manipulative, people, go, oh, I like hot girls. I mean, you know, even the name, right? Go Daddy, right? What kind of domain? What kind of like? infrastructure server company calls themselves yeah. GoDaddy, right? It's, it's, it's like, like Namecheap or something that's like, oh, okay, you know. Well, Namecheap is also like a cheap play, right? So it's it's actually, yeah. it's, it's it's cheap without without the, the, the sex sales part. But, you know, like like Bluehost is, is one that just sounds like, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a, your infrastructure name, right? Um, yeah. Media Temple, I guess it hosts media there, like media company should be there. But GoDaddy is just like, it's it's like some some girl cheering for like a like a sugar daddy or something base base human things versus long-term rewards right which is which is great and i love the fact that you're setting expectations for the the people that join your cause they look we're not gonna do rich overnight um memories are, are one of the most important things that we could ever have you know and you know lo the loss of memories is one of the most painful things i know like if anybody's ever lost their phone you know they're like oh my memories everything you know that that yeah. pain and, and you know what's crazy? Like before 2000, like people had a lot of like physical photos, right? Um, you, know, you go to grandma, grandma's home, you see this photo. After 2000, everything's on, everything's digital. And like I said, any company can show, like Viddler, I don't know if you know this, but Viddler uh, mm -hmm. used to be a big video hosting site alongside Vimeo. Like it's YouTube and then Vimeo Viddler. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk hosted all his videos on Viddler. And then one day they decided like, we're going to change our model. We're only going to do B2B. So you're all the B2C we're shutting down. You have one month, I think this one or two months to, to export all of your videos. And I didn't get that, that email. So literally all my videos were gone. Like, like, I don't know, 50 to hundred videos I made over the years gone because they shut it down. They wanted that's to. A, that's, that's almost like, that's, I almost feel like that's a, not want to say abuse, but it almost seems like that's a, that, sh that should be illegal to be able to just rip people's memories away, have some sort of standards and practice to just, cause you lose all of that stuff. That's so painful. I could, yeah, um, well, I'm pretty sure somewhere I click, I agree to the terms yeah. of service that says oh, they can do that. Oh, those terms of service. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 by the way, our mutual friend, uh, says what's up. So yeah, he's <laughs> a good friend from, uh, from back in college, UCLA. We go way, way back. He's a good guy. Yeah, a, a good friend of mine, uh, and I've known him for about ten years. In this, and uh, yeah, if he's still he's... watching, because it's the, he said that I think over an hour ago now. Sorry, CK, I didn't see you, buddy. My bad. We're in the flow here. Um, <laughs> um, if uh, it, this has been amazing, I know uh, you were uh, a bit under the weather, and you agreed to come on. So I, I have absolute appreciation uh, for you taking the time, even though. Uh, you were under weather and you could have been doing other things. So thank you. If if people want to find out more about Metablocks or the Atolysis framework or any of that stuff, how do they find out more about it? Yeah, uh, I'll first say that I'm not necessarily under the weather, but under the virus. Um, <laughs> yeah, two days ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to do this. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a good thing I, I have three three vaccine shots and I think I, I took a, 
uh, decently. Um, yeah, so to to um, to discover my work, the main place is uh, yukaichao.com. Uh, but if you Google Gamecation X or Gamecation Framework, you should be able to find it in the top two, three results. Uh, Yukai Chow on Twitter is a good way to reach me too. And then that will usually lead me lead to whatever you're looking for. Metablocks.co, which is the NFT company. Uh, Octalysisprime.com, which is the education platform with 900 videos I made to teach about all the stuff I was talking about. Um, Octalysis Group, which is my consulting design company. If you're a big corporation and you want us to design things for you. Yeah, but yukaichao.com, central place. And then from there, your hero journey begins. Oh, solid segue. Beautiful. Uh, Yukai, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate all the good work you're doing, the inspiration, the dedication, the gamification. Um, absolute pleasure. So thank you for coming on. Uh, appreciate your time. Have a blessed and beautiful day, my friend. And I'll see you on the other side. Thank you. See you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.